I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. One of the best things about this show is that it gives me the perfect excuse to meet people who I've been meaning to meet for ages. Monica Kramer Manham of Sirius Point is one such guest. Over the last 15 years, many mutual friends have recommended I try to get an audience with her, saying that we would get on really well. Well, they were right. Monica is indeed fantastically good company, and right now she has a great story to tell. Sirius Point is the product of the merger of two very different legacy businesses and is intent on forging a progressive identity for itself under its new banner. It's exciting stuff, and in this podcast we go into detail on its transformational plans and the challenges that they will bring. We also discuss the state of the market after the mid-year renewals, and we hear Monica's own reflections on her long and successful career as a woman in what was, certainly at the very beginning, very much a man's world. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as U.S.-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA Claim Service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day. Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. Monica, thank you so much for giving up some of your very valuable time. Now the dust has settled on the merger of Sirius and Third Point to create Sirius Point. Can you describe the new organization? Absolutely. First of all, thanks very much, Mark, for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. How could I describe the new organization? I'd really like to use three key words to do so. I'd say enthusiastic, energetic, and entrepreneurial. I think there's a tremendous amount of really positive energy and excitement of as we sort of see the combined entity coming out, the new leadership, the vision, the direction of the group. I think we can say, and I think everyone has seen it as well, that both Sirius and TPRE were struggling with our respective issues and problems. And so seeing what we've been able to achieve in such a short period of time by coming together, working collaboratively to address our challenges, thinking opportunistically about the future and how to differentiate ourselves, I think that's genuinely been a bit of a fresh air or a fresh breath of just something new and invigorating. And I believe that as a united team, we've also successfully managed to merge two entities during a global pandemic, which is probably more challenging than anything else. 
and that we have teams of people who and individuals who are now working together who've only ever met virtually. I think also our new CEO, Sid Sankara, he's done a great job of unifying the teams who fundamentally share a lot of the same values and goals, but sort of synthesize that and put it into context. We've also got some new colleagues and some great talent who've joined us recently, who've been highly sort of engaged and, and leaned in right away. There's also been a lot of new strategic partnerships that have been set up, which have been an important part and will be an important part of our strategy going forward. So overall, it's been a busy few months, really busy. And that was even before we started working together. So we're all excited about the opportunities. We have to provide clients and business partners with innovative new solutions. We care about delivering a high standard of service and partnership. And I think we've got a highly capable and committed team who have a nimble and entrepreneurial approach in their way of thinking and working. An analyst friend of mine used to describe that kind of merger of two smaller entities, perhaps. They used to describe that scenario as huddling together for warmth. And so it sounds like you're feeling some of the warmth there, Monica. In terms of the character of your organizations, does the merger signal a return to real focus on underwriting profitability, which, of course, with some of the previous incarnations of the legacy that has made Serious Point, wasn't necessarily always the focus, that some of the focus was on getting that money in and investing it for very high returns? I think that's a really good question. And absolutely, it's one of the core objectives. I think it's one of the strongest messages that Sid Sankaran has communicated to the organization even before day one, when we were all still getting to know each other. It's really this relentless focus on defining our risk appetite, on underwriting discipline and underwriting profitability. If I take a step back and just sort of say, the past few months have been really exciting, not working just with Sid, but with the entire executive leadership team, new and old colleagues across the globe, as we've been trying to define the strategy and the direction of the group going forward. And the future direction is really based on, on three strategic principles of which this concept of underwriting profitability really is an underlying theme. But if we look at those three pillars, and you may have heard Sid talk about them previously, to focus and stabilize, rejuvenate and grow, and modernize and break out. So the first pillar is really about the core business and restoring underwriting profitability, the focus and stabilize. For different reasons, I'd say neither Sirius nor TPRE in our legacy history have been delivering on underwriting profitability recently. And during the past year, both as we've sort of prepared to merge and even I'd say in advance of the merger, we did deep dives on our portfolios. We've been looking at the two companies and the business that was written. We've identified areas of concern. I'd say overall, the good news has been that it's been a small portion of our business and the overall portfolio that's been an outsized contributor to the underperformance. And to use a, an expression, there's no one silver bullet to remediation. And after a lot of careful analysis and work and discussions, we've canceled some business and we've exited some lines of business. And there's never a finish line to that kind of work. You don't declare victory and move on and say, that's we're done and dusted. So we'll constantly be evaluating the performance of our portfolio and we'll continue to make strategic decisions in order to position ourselves to grow profitably going forward, both today and in the future. And in the coming months in preparation for the renewal at 1-1, 
we're going to be focusing our efforts on ensuring that the portfolio that we renew meets the requirements and the targets that we're setting for the future. No civil bullet, but yes, you need the wooden stake through the heart and the holy water and the crucifix, I think, as well. So just keep going. <laughs> I think so. I mean, we have a super strong underwriting team globally when it comes to the business. I think you've heard many of the names. We've got David Govren, who was previously with TP Re, who's now our global CEO and, and heads up the Americas segment of people that I can mention. It's Jan Oselius, Patrick Chamberlain, Warren Trace, Tim Martin, Ian Sawyer. On the A&H side, it's people like Stuart Liddell and, and Tom Leonardo, just to mention a few names who are all sort of working on the business side to actively push and focus on growing and developing and ensuring the profitability of our portfolio, but also all of the underwriting talent that we have across the globe that sits in all of the offices that we have. I think fundamentally, those are the important drivers in how we will manage that return to profitability. Assume all the remediation goes really well. You've got a great market to work in or a better market than we've had for any time in the last sort of eight or nine years, let's say, to work in. And now you're re-energized. You've all come together. You've really fundamentally reset the whole organization into one new entity. Now you've done that. Where strategically are you going to play in that global insurance and reinsurance world? I think one of our strengths or one of our advantages is the combination of old and new of having a history, but being a new company and call it a little bit of the class of 2020, 2021, it's provided us opportunities to think about how we do our business differently. So I'd say for both insurance and reinsurance, we want to capitalize on market dislocation and to be disciplined risk managers, as well as opportunistic in the way we look at business. But equally important is the relationships and the strong partnerships we've built up over decades with clients and brokers through the European platform and the Asian network that we have. And they mean that we are committed and very focused on further expanding and developing and delivering first-class service to our clients and to the brokers in terms of our value proposition. But we'll also be highly focused on growth through partnerships that are open-minded, creative and where we can be a call it a, a sounding partner or a, a talking partner in terms of new ideas and opportunities. We want to be additive and create value as well as challenge the status quo. And to be able to do that, I think it needs a different mindset and you need to think about things differently from the way you've thought about it in the past while still remaining disciplined and managing your risk carefully. Sid and, and others, and we all recognize that we have an underutilized global platform, which we can leverage today, and we can find growth opportunities to support that business model going forward. So I think that to sort of build further on those concepts about where we want to play in the global insurance and reinsurance world, if you look at the traditional book, but also the two areas in addition to focusing and stabilizing on our core traditional book of business where we develop the relationships and partnerships, where we've been highly focused on property business previously, which remains an important part of our book of business. But with the new competencies that we bring in as a result of the merger with Third Point and the talent that we've brought on board when we've become one group, it means that we have new opportunities to pursue and explore growth opportunities with existing clients and partners to leverage expertise that we couldn't provide them with 
in the past, but we will also be opportunistic in looking at new areas and where we see the bulk of the growth going forward will really be in what we call the pillar two and pillar three of our strategy. So that's the rejuvenate and grow. It's just new stuff. Yep, and modernize and break out. In every other industry, people target market share as a measure of success. But for very sound reasons, in insurance, talk of market share is a no-no. But could we target something else? What about market presence? Because isn't performing well in the insurance world and outperforming on profitability really down to your market presence? After all, you can't place risks for clients you haven't met, and you can't underwrite business you haven't been shown. M&A and innovation do drive market presence, but it can also be steadily achieved at a lower cost through brand building. Brand building works in part by activating a bias we all have called the availability heuristic. It simply means that when our brains are searching for an answer, say which broker or insurer to contact, the answer that comes most readily to mind is deemed to be the right one. In short, the greater your brand awareness, the more opportunities you'll see. It's a straightforward mechanism the team at Free Partners use. Free Partners is a brand and communications agency specialising in the insurance sector. So if you're thinking you'd like to see more opportunities, perhaps Free Partners will come to mind. Check out their three-step standout Grow Strong plan at freepartners.com. And in general, what are you going to do strategically? Obviously, you're now a bigger business than you were before in, as individual parts. Does that mean you're going to carry on going deeper into all the niches and specialisms that you had before? Or does it mean now you can be a bit more generalist and start to participate more across the board and offer capacity across the board? Or what's the strategy? What's your thinking there? I think it'll be a combination of those. Absolutely. I mean, if you have, you want to create relevance with your clients and your partners and by being able to participate and engage with them in discussions across the board, it becomes a very different discussion if you can bring that expertise and value into it. But it also comes into the areas if you're looking at your traditional lines of business and your traditional partners, but going back to that rejuvenate and grow, there are areas of our business where we have assets which have been underutilized historically, and where we haven't really given them the opportunity to grow. It's the A&H portfolio and the MGAs that we already have in our book of business, and they're key parts of the strategy going forward. So we want to provide entrepreneurial businesses with a mixture of risk capacity, investment, operational support, and those strategic partnerships with innovative, fast-growing, entrepreneurial companies where we can use our platform and our licenses, that'll be additive to both them and to ourselves, and that'll create value and more value. So creating relationships, long-term relationships with insure techs, tech-enabled MGAs, that is this sort of pillar of going rejuvenate and grow and modernize and break out. So as long as we see, Sid has used the expression that's small enough to change, big enough to matter. And it is really important because the ability to be able to take opportunities and to leverage opportunities and to be quick entrepreneurial about it, that will move the dial and create a difference. We're absolutely convinced that having all the tools in the toolkit 
the opportunities through the licenses and the platforms that we have that haven't been utilized. We have licenses in the U.S. admitted and ENS licenses in the U.S. We have the Lloyd Syndicate. We have Bermuda Class 4 entities. We have the European branch network. We've got outposts in Asia. We've got PNC primary and reinsurance, A&H, life. So even though we're a very small organization, we have all the tools in the toolbox to make a difference. It's interesting what you say about InsureTech. Obviously, with that focus on underwriting profitability, I presume you can't, you can be nimble and quick, but you certainly can't have the view of perhaps some of the really large global reinsurers that we've seen, the way that they've had this dip their toe in and build relationships. And almost certainly, one would assume looking at the numbers, take quite substantial losses in building those relationships. I presume you're not going to be able to do that kind of thing. Are you going to have to deal with entrepreneurs who are going to produce underwriting profit for both of you from day one? It can be a combination. I mean, you'll be looking at a combination of underwriting paper. There will be instances when you can offer paper, but you might actually be the investor and you create, you work as a merchant banker. So there are a number of different opportunities in looking at those, call it insure tech investment opportunities, et cetera. One size does not fit all or one solution does not fit all. So it's the ability to try and leverage those various opportunities that will make the difference and being prepared to do that. It might just be an investment. It might just be providing seed capital to a a future investment. It might be providing reinsurance paper. It might be providing operational support to an MGA because we holistically have that competence and that knowledge. So you want anyone listening here to, who's in InsureTech to be talking to you? It sounds you know you're positioning yourself to be you want to be one of these people you can talk to. They'll get someone who's not too big but big enough, and you'll be able to get quick answers and opinions. I think so. A hundred percent, you'll be able to get quick answers. I think we've also seen Prashant Gangu, who is the president overseeing insurance and services. He has a background from Oliver Wyman, a strong experience together with the team that we've been bringing on board. We've already announced a number, I would say, of interesting partnerships and relationships with some startups, Outdoorsy, Join, Hestia Capital, to just mention a few. But we are working even with those opportunities in a very focused manner. And the team sort of had strong relationships and experience within our organization, not just within the private equity and venture capital space, but also within the insurance space. We know what we want to do. So I think that you'll get very quick answers, will be very clear and very responsive in providing answers. We've had a number of offers come across our plate already, and the teams have been working very hard, delivering on some with a strong pipeline uh, still there. Obviously, the last year I've been interviewing all the all the people in the class of 2020 that I can get hold of, because obviously, you know, going to be fascinating interview subjects. One of the things that's always surprised me with them is that, of course, 20 years ago, they would have said, look at my nice clean balance sheet, no worries about, uh, you know, having to add to old legacy reserves, whatever, you know, I'm ready to go, ready to underwrite, I've got my class four paper from Bermuda, I'm off. These days, they're also pointing to their cloud-based technology and saying, well, I've got no legacy server sitting in the corner or in the, or in the basement of my office anymore, and saying that that's almost as big an asset. So obviously, as you're pivoting into this forward-looking growth tech-friendly strategy, how keenly do you feel that need that you'll have to transform your own legacy? Because of course, you do have legacy. Is that really going to be one of your top priorities to make yourself sort of fighting fit for a lot of these insure techs who say, oh, I want to do data-driven underwriting or this or that or the other, and for you to be ready to ingest all that data and to be ready with the right tech to be relevant to them? Yeah, I, I guess it's fair to say that 
one of the challenges of being a company. We talk a lot about the advantages of being a company or companies that have been around for a long period of time, the relationship, the partnerships you've built up. But of course, it's fair to say that the legacy of having had multiple mergers and acquisitions over the years, it creates, call it a burdensome technology environment, and that these platforms aren't easily integrated with each other. And that creates complexity. It creates redundancy in processes. And I'm pretty certain we're not unique in having that challenge. The entire industry has and does struggle with it. So of course, the new startups who are coming with, call it a clean slate of paper and and a fresh start, it's so much easier to not have to worry about the past and about the legacy. You can just look at a system or a solution or a process to support the business that you're targeting right here and right now. So it's a reality of the business. It's a reality of the insurance industry and reinsurance industry. Many of us have been around for a very long time. I think we'll work through that. We have a team that's very focused on looking at opportunities to improve, streamline, simplify our processes in order to capitalize on technology and to be more efficient in the future. Well, Monica, let's talk about the market itself. It seems to me from my discussions of the last six months has been, when I talk to insurers, they say, well, actually, the reinsurers have been really supportive. They've been pretty helpful. They haven't been kind of jacking up their own cost. My cost of reinsurance doesn't seem to be going up hugely or it's reasonable. And they're sort of happy to ride along the fact that this market has been driven by increases in insurance pricing and that the insurers are very pleased that they didn't have to be the bad guys this time. They're able to ride along on the wave of that pricing. Is that a fair description? Because in the end, presumably you're happy because profitable business is being put on the book. (laughs) One hopes, one hopes. It's always too certain to say, of course, but one hopes it's more profitable than it would have been otherwise. No, absolutely. I think... Once again, I think that's a great question. And and maybe it's not 100% fair, though. I think that reinsurers do want to drive prices and want to have an influence on the business. Otherwise, I think it's going to beg the question of what is it we're doing with our capital? And, And our capital providers are expecting returns, and we have an obligation to shareholders to deliver those returns as well. So that means being proactive, trying to seek out profitable business opportunities, being relevant to clients, and having an influence on pricing, being active and selective risk managers. I guess the challenge today has been that there's so much capital and capacity available that has come into our market and into our business as a consequence of opportunities that people are seeing with a hardening primary market, that it is creating that challenge for the reinsurers to perhaps have the kind of influence we should have on the pricing of the primary business. And I think also it would be wrong not to question the challenges that everyone has had and experienced as a consequence of of COVID and the global pandemic, where perhaps everyone has been trying to think about taking some form of global responsibility. Maybe reinsurers haven't pushed as hard as we should because we've still been waiting to see what is going to be the impact of various losses and and various issues. But I think we have an obligation as reinsurers to both shareholders, to our clients and to ourselves to ensure that we don't just be a benign influence and let the insurers drive the prices and not impact our dynamics. We are the owners of our own destiny. And I think that's important to underline. 
But if you write what's in front of you and you're happy with what's in front of you, then you don't have to influence it in any meaningful way, do you? If it's 20% better price than it was last year, then surely you just say, yes, please. Can I have some more? I think you will. I think you should constantly try to achieve <laughs> an optimal solution. Okay, let's have 25, you know, yeah, not 20. Just come through the mid-year renewals. What's the flavor of that been? Has it been okay? Uh, I'd say it's been okay, but there's been a clear slowdown in momentum, in the momentum that we saw at 1.1 and 1.4. And uh, it's clear that we've seen abundant capacity coming in. Examples have been in Latin America. We've also seen the Florida renewals being... And is that, is that um, some of the class of 2020 or is it just additional capital coming from incumbents who've raised... Obviously, capital has been raised by incumbents as well. Where's it coming from? I think it's a combination of both, quite honestly. Absolutely. Given that environment, do you think we're hitting a peak in price rising? You know, how much longer can it be before we're getting near to the high tide? Obviously, momentum has to fall off eventually. And we are talking about compound rate increases. And obviously, everyone loves compound interest when it's in your favor. So at some point, would you accept that, okay, we've got prices adequate or beyond adequate that we're happy with? And at some point, you have to say that's as much as we're going to get, isn't it? So how long have we got, do you think, of eking out little bit more increases before things start to tail off and go perhaps the other way? Oh, it's, um, it's a challenging question. I mean, in the primary side, we've seen a global hardening across essentially all geographies and all lines of business, whether it's casualty, aviation and space, property, commercial and industrial, marine credit. And I would expect to see that those levels will remain in place. We've also seen a tightening in original terms and conditions. So I'd say on an overall basis, we are probably at a level where rate adequacy has been achieved in the primary markets, but one size never really fits all. I think we as an industry tend to have a little bit short, we tend to be a little bit sort of short-sighted in our memories and tend to forget very quickly. And it's going to require continued discipline and continued focus from everyone. I'd say we still expect to see rate increases in areas where losses haven't been factored in yet, in areas where there have been COVID claims potentially, where they haven't been priced into renewals yet. But we're in a fundamentally changing world where capital is a very flowing commodity and it'll move quickly, whether it's in traditional businesses or the traditional players. And on COVID, there's still plenty of uncertainty. Is that what you're saying? Is that the right way of summarizing it, that it's still too early to say? There's no real, is there any comfort? I think we're seeing some stabilization in the terms of loss picks that we're seeing globally, at least in terms of the size of the loss. But I think there's still a lot of uncertainty as to where it's going to impact and how, if it's going to impact the reinsurance space or if it's going to impact the direct insurance space. And so... It's going to take time before we have clarity there and we know what falls where. So arbitration, litigation, without a question, there will be cases, there's uncertainty. But the important questions, I think, for us as a market and as, as an industry are going to be, how do we move forward and what have we learned from this? What lessons do we as an industry and as reinsurers take with us for the future? How do we manage what have been longstanding relationships that have been consistently loyal and profitable going forward? Those are going to be, I think, the interesting questions as we approach the 1-1 renewals. And also, another question around confidence is, as you go into hardening, it's usually preceded by a growing lack of confidence in prior reserves. 
now that we've had a good couple of years of improved pricing and resetting of, of a lot of terms, is that confidence returning that there isn't some terrible black hole that still needs to be filled that hasn't quite been revealed to us yet? There's that balance between the greed about getting that new business on your books and then that fear of, well, yeah, but some of my prior year stuff. What's your assessment of that balance between those two different animal spirits? I think that's a really good question. That's always the challenge, isn't it? It's in our industry, this movement and what is going to happen in terms of the robustness of the prior year reserves. Are they in the right place or are they not? I think that it's still too soon to say. I think that there's a lot more confidence in where they are as to where they were a few years ago. I think we've seen movement in the casualty space, but we've also seen significant improvement in pricing in the casualty space, which has brought a certain amount of comfort. So I think there's more certainty, but it, do you ever have 100% certainty? No. Sometimes it sounds a little bit like broking points that underwriters have, a stick with which they, you know, when you're having a conversation with a broker, another reason why prices can't start coming down is now a fear over inflation, just standard inflation. We've been talking about social inflation a lot for the last 10 years, but actually return of just good old fashioned, the sort of inflation that you and I grew up with in the 1970s, just things generally becoming more expensive economically. Is that something that we should be worried about? And, and would it be a big impact on businesses with a lot of legacy? I think clearly it'll it'll have an impact on I mean, claims inflation, uh, sort of loss adjusters. I think absolutely, without a doubt. And it's something that we need to keep an eye on as an industry as well when we look at what's happening. So is it, is it again, is it too soon? Because it's very difficult I to tell so. if it goes from quarter to quarter and it depends which which central banks report absolutely. you're reading. But I mean, it's fascinating to see what's happening now. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the economy as businesses and as the world begins to open up again, hopefully, and what impact that'll have. When you just go and buy some timber and look at the price you paid five years ago, you can see that it has changed. Absolutely. I want to talk about you, Monica. Every time I scroll down my list of uh, episodes and I look in pride at all these wonderful people I've managed to get to speak, and then I, the only pang of regret I ever get is that I realise that it's only about one in 10, and I have to keep scrolling and scrolling that I don't see enough women on that list. As someone who's had a long, successful career in reinsurance, I just want to ask you how you got into insurance and reinsurance, and then what, what was it about it that made you want to stay? I think that like most of the people in our industry, I got into the business purely by accident. I had an international background. I'd lived in multiple countries across the globe and, and moved around a lot during my formative years. And so going into the reinsurance industry was really a way to work internationally, to work across different cultures with different people. I love different cultures, different people, and the opportunity to engage with them has truly been a privilege and an honor and, and an exciting one. And when I started working in insurance, in the reinsurance space way back when, it was so motivating. It was, there was a buzz, there was an enthusiasm. It was a constantly evolving marketplace. It was challenging your knowledge, your expertise, but always meeting new opportunities and new solutions. And it was fun going to work every day. I also had the privilege of having some really, really strong mentors who helped me to shape my view of the industry. And they weren't afraid of taking the risk of helping me to grow and to progress in my career. And especially in those days, because the business has changed in the past 30 years, when it comes to gender equality and diversity, being a woman in the reinsurance industry 30 years ago was a very, very different world than it is today, even if so much has happened 
So the opportunity of having those mentors and having those people who believed in you and were willing to take a risk, call it on a woman. I remember just anecdotally, one of the very first things that actually got me into working in the reinsurance space was that at the owners of what was then Sirius International, the HR managers, I had been a management trainee within the company or the group that owned us. And as we were looking to sort of do our internship in various companies within the group, one of the companies that was identified was Sirius. And my other sort of interns had been working at Sirius. And when it was my turn to work at Sirius, the HR manager told me, Monica, quite frankly, we're changing your internship from Sirius because it's the most conservative industry and you'll never have a career as a woman in the insurance or reinsurance space. If nothing else, that that triggered the desire to work at Sirius. And that has not been a problem. So I think for me, One of the important things going forward is the fact that the strong mentorship I had is really something that I take as a, call it a responsibility for paying forward and to try and help young women and young professionals to navigate their careers in our business and to really take on this aspect of diversity, ethnicity, inclusiveness, and culture because it's an important part and it's an important value for serious point and it is one for me as well and i think we have come far we as women i think in our industry we see a lot more women in great leadership roles today in our business and i find that truly exciting and very satisfying and i'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of that as we continue to grow so as you, you're building this new culture, you've got this chance to have a clean slate with Serious Point. What's this culture that you want to build there? It is very one of inclusion. It is one of making sure that we recognize and embrace the values and the unique contributions of all individuals, irrespective of whatever culture, race, ethnic background they have. It is about sharing knowledge. It's about sharing expertise. It's about wanting to help each other. It's about working in a collaborative manner where there's transparency and honesty. I think that to me, those are hugely important drivers of culture. The willingness to have an organization that treats not just employees, but also clients and business partners and shareholders fairly, honestly, transparently, and correctly. I think that's one of the most important factors of all. And to be able to articulate that and communicate it, I think for me, it's the way I've managed myself and the way I've approached my business relationships and my colleagues and those around me in my history. And that's the way I look forward to managing it in the future as well. Well, Monica, I've really, really enjoyed chatting to you. It's so nice to meet you. I wish you all the best with what sounds really exciting at Serious Point. We don't all get a chance to reset and do things new. And also without having to start a whole new company, but you're doing something new out of existing companies and putting them together, but be able to re- reassess everything you do is a really good opportunity. So I wish you all the best with that, with all that building. And I hope you'll mark a date in your diary at some point in the future to come back and tell us how it's all going. But thank you so much. hundred percent. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you and catching up and certainly look forward to speaking to you in the near future again. Thank you, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. 
Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. Thank you.